Oh, God, we're so grateful for Gary, and we're grateful for the voice that you have given him for so many years of preaching the word to this family. We do pray that you would restore him quickly because he is a useful tool for you. And so we pray that you would uh, just heal his voice today in Jesus' name. And I do pray also, as, as I'm going to share some things, I pray that you would just help me say the things that are on your heart today, that we would hear directly from you in your name. Amen. Well, I was on vacation a couple weeks ago, and a friend of mine had given me a book to read, and it was a commentary on the book of Exodus. So I'm on the back porch uh, reading uh, my Bible, you know, the book of Exodus and this commentary, and I was surprised because I read a story in there I didn't remember being in there. I don't know if you have this experience. You go to the Bible, and in your brain is the movie version, which you saw that kind of edited a bunch of different things together, but then you're reading the written story, and you're like, I don't remember this in there. This is crazy. Um, And and so I want to just encourage you, the written Bible is a gift to us. It should get our curiosity going. There's things in there. Every time I open it up, I learn something new. So if you don't have like a regular reading plan, I encourage you, get into that. Um, But today we're going to go into this story with a couple of unlikely heroes. In fact, these heroes probably aren't on anyone's radar when you say, give me your top 10 heroes of the book of Exodus. They weren't on mine until a few weeks ago. But there are a couple of people that God gives a specific shout out and actually rewards in the story. So let's read together. So let's go to Exodus chapter 1, and let's start in verse 8. It's the second book in your Bible, so start at Genesis, go all the way to the end, and here's verse 8. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, if you don't remember, Joseph was the guy who had the coat of many colors, who really irritated his brothers, to the point that they sold him into slavery into Egypt. That's really irritating your siblings. He got there, he went to jail for some things that were not his fault, and he's sitting in a dungeon. And while he's in the dungeon, it becomes known that he's pretty good at one skill, interpreting dreams. And so there's this happenstance that Pharaoh, which is the name of the king of Egypt, it's a title, Pharaoh, gets a dream, and he needs it interpreted. Well, they do a phone a friend, and a friend of a friend gets Joseph out of jail into the palace, and Joseph gets a chance to interpret Pharaoh's dream. What's amazing about this is I don't know how Pharaoh knew that Joseph's interpretation was the right one, but something just clicked, and Pharaoh said, this guy knows what he's talking about. And the interpretation of the dream was this. There's going to be seven years of plenty, lots of rain, lots of crops, lots of grain, followed by seven years of famine, which means everyone's going to get really hungry, and some people are going to die if we don't get ready for this. And so Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of the Egyptian saving grain project. He's like, I know this is coming. So you're in charge of it. You gather it all up. You create the whole plan. You make this work. So Joseph is promoted to second in charge of all of Egypt. I'm sure there's streets named after him. There's schools named after him. He is famous in the land of Egypt during this time. And then we come across this verse eight, a king has arisen over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And you're thinking, how did this happen? It was just one chapter previous. Genesis 50, Joseph is there. Exodus 1, no one knows him. Well, it was just a couple of generations later. In Exodus 6, 14 and 25, we read that Levi, who is a sibling, gave birth to Kohath. Kohath gave birth to Amram, and Amram gave birth to Moses. We also read in Genesis 50 that Joseph got to hold his great-grandchildren. So we know he lived a really long time, 110 years. 
So there's really no excuse other than they purposefully wrote Joseph out of the history that this Egyptian pharaoh learned. And it's an important thing when we, when we think about history, it's important that we know our history, especially what God has done for us. Because if we don't know what God has done for us, it's going to affect our attitudes moving forward. Well, let's see what this evil king, this pharaoh, decides to do who is not a fan of the Hebrews. Verse 9, And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply. And in the event of war, they will also join those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to oppress them with hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom and Ramses. So do you see Pharaoh's plan here? He's like, I need to lower the number of males in the population because I'm worried about them. There's no reason he had to be worried about them. You know, the Abrahamic covenant had said previously that those who bless Israel, I will bless. And those who curse Israel, I will curse. And that is still in effect today. And, and Pharaoh could have asked about them and he could have learned about them. But instead he feared all these Hebrews running around. He feared they would ally with the other nations. So he said, well, maybe I can oppress them harshly and maybe they'll start dying off in the hard labor and I'll get something out of it. It'll be a great win-win except for, for God's people. And so it, it gets a little bit uh, ironic to me that he is having these Jewish Hebrew people build up these storage cities probably storing much of the wealth that Joseph brought to Egypt to begin with. So it's a little ironic to me. Verse 12, let's see how this works out. But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out. So they dreaded the sons of Israel. See, slavery and hard labor didn't kill off enough of the Jews. So Pharaoh had to come up with another plan, an even more satanic plan, you might say. The Egyptians used violence to compel the sons of Israel to labor, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and at all kinds of labor in the field and all their labors which they violently had them perform as slaves. It doesn't take much to imagine the suffering of the Hebrews during this time as they cry out to God and say, God, why are you allowing this to happen? And it is, it is purely satanic inspiration that the Egyptian pharaoh is doing this, and he keeps ratcheting up to a new level each time we go on the story. Verse 15, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, and another was named Pua. And he said, When you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. You know, we've been doing a series in Proverbs where we've been talking about wisdom a lot. And you guys remember from Proverbs 1, Gary mentioned this a few times. Where does wisdom come from? Fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is the beginning of courage too, fearing God more than fearing Pharaoh, fearing God more than fearing any person on earth. Dennis Prager says, courage is the rarest of all good traits. It's hard to find courage, but it is something that God notices 
and God cares deeply about. How do you know if you have it? How do you know if you have this trait? Is when somebody challenges you to do the right thing, even when it'll cost you something. Or maybe challenges you, you have to say the right thing, knowing it might cost you something. That's when you know you have courage if you're willing to do it because God is watching. Because God is looking over your shoulder. You know that he wants you to do the right thing in that moment. So these midwives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And eventually, word got out they weren't doing what Pharaoh had asked. And that's a big deal because these pharaohs were, literally, they believed they were gods. So they had all the power in Egypt. If they said, off with your head, literally off with your head, they could put someone in prison. There'd be no trial. They could kill you. They could do anything they want. They had absolute power in Egypt. So Pharaoh hears that the midwives are not doing what he's commanded. And so he calls them to his office. Verse 18, the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to him, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? Verse 19, the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. That's not something that I would have put in the story if I was making the story. Um, uh, my wife has tried many times to get me to watch the show uh, Call the Midwife, and I'm like, I'm out. I know very little about the whole birthing process. I really, I've never Googled it. I'm not interested very much. Um, but I'm pretty sure that people don't sneeze and a baby comes out while the midwife is on the way there. I'm pretty confident um, that that's not, is that the way it works? I know that you, you, my mother-in-law helps with these things at times, and I think it takes a little longer than that usually. So this is the story that they tell the Pharaoh. Um, the, the Hebrew women are just different. They're kind of like animals and babies just pop out of them while we're trying to get there. It's an interesting question at this point. We'll talk a little about the story they tell too. Uh, but it's a question of story. Who do you think these midwives are? Do you think they are Hebrew or are they Egyptian? And you're like, well, we just read, you know, in verse 15, it says they're Hebrew midwives. But actually, that, that text is a little confusing because it's kind of like saying a child doctor. Is the doctor a child or is the doctor the one who cares for the children? So when it says Hebrew midwives, it could be they are Hebrew ethnically and they are of the people, but it could also be they are the midwives in charge of Hebrew births. And the text doesn't really tell us, but we can tell intrinsically from the story it kind of only makes sense that these are Egyptian midwives. First of all, why would Pharaoh tell a Hebrew to kill Hebrew children? It doesn't make any sense. He would tell an Egyptian who did not believe that those children were really children, who believed those children were really just animals or something else, another ethnos, something that didn't matter, wasn't precious in the sight of God. It's only that kind of Pharaoh that would, would tell someone he thought agreed with him about that, say, go kill those Hebrew boys if they're, if they're found um, to be boys when they're born. So that's another, but the other reason we kind of know they're Egyptians is because their response, they always talk about the Hebrews as that other, that other group, that other people. So it just kind of makes sense looking at the story. These are Egyptians, but somehow through the story, we don't know how this happened. They came to fear the God of the Hebrews. Now, I don't know if they're at a bunch of Hebrew births and they see a Hebrew praying and God answer. If they start thinking, huh, 
This God of the Hebrews, he answers prayer. I don't know if they're sharing prophecies. I don't know if they're talking about how God led Abram out. I don't know how this all happened. But somehow these Hebrew, I'm sorry, these Egyptian midwives were so convinced that the God of the Hebrews was real, they feared him more than the Pharaoh who was right in front of them. And so they decide to obey God rather than man. They do not kill the Hebrew boys, which pleases God. And then Pharaoh asks for an explanation. They kind of lie to him. And the lie is kind of crafty because it feeds into the racism of Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh already doesn't believe these Hebrews are, are people. So they're kind of kind of leads into that. And, and one of the questions I'm always asked when I read this story is, well, is it okay to lie? You know, is it, is it okay to lie in some circumstances? Well, I think uh, there's, there's one thing that's important to understand the differences between two phrases. One is moral relativism, and one is situational ethics. So I'm going to explain those. Moral relativism says there's no universal standard of right and wrong that every person gets to decide for themselves what's right and wrong, and I can't judge your standard, you can't judge my standard. There's no universal standard. We as Christians do not believe that's true. We believe God has one standard for all of humanity. And we've all fallen short of that standard. But there is a standard, and God has given that to us, and he has explained that to us through the Bible. So that is, we, we would reject moral relativism. But we would accept that there are situational ethics in most situations. I'll give you just a couple brief examples. The intimacy between a husband and wife is a blessed thing inside the covenant of marriage. It's a wonderful thing. Outside the covenant of marriage, that is a sin. So notice how the situation determines whether that same act of intimacy is good or is a sin. You can also think of other situations like killing. You know, in some situations, if, if a person is coming to attack my children to kill them, it is a just thing for me to protect them and stop that from happening, even if it means killing the assailant. But if somebody just gets mad at me and cuts me off in traffic, of course, that's a different situation, right? And so that's why the Bible says thou shalt not murder, but never says thou shalt not kill. So we as Christians would say absolutely there are times where we are not to be perfectly honest, especially with a pharaoh trying to kill people. We saw this in World War II, where the Nazis would come to a house, you know, like a Christian Gentile house, who was housing, hiding Jewish people, trying to hide from the Holocaust. And they would say, are there any Jews here? Are you hiding any Jews? And the correct answer there is no. You don't say, yeah, they're in the basement, go get them. No, the correct answer is no, because they fear God. So if your motivation to lie is I fear God more than man, then that makes it a different situation. It's not very often. I can't think of a situation in my life where that's happened. But there, this is a situation where God clearly um, approves of the way they, they handle the situation. How do I know that? Well, let's read it in the next verse, verse 20. So God was good to the midwives. And the people multiplied and became very mighty. And because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. See, God doesn't always reward us in this life for good things, but I think God is making a point. He's saying, when you act courageously for me, I notice and I pay attention. And I think he saw the courage of these midwives, how they stood up to the most powerful person 
in the known world at that time and took their lives in our own hands because their fear of God. And he said, I want you guys to see, I see you over there. God rewarded them in that life. I wish I could tell you that that kind of solved everything. And, the, and you know, Pharaoh kind of let off the gas, stopped persecuting the Hebrews, the killing stopped. That's not how the story goes. Pharaoh ramps it up again and again. Verse 22, then Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, every Hebrew son he's talking about, you are to throw into the Nile, but every daughter you are to keep alive. See, Pharaoh can't do all the evil he wants to do by himself. He wants to invite as many people who are willing to help him. And he's trying to, if he can't get the the Egyptian midwives to help, he's trying to get his common countrymen to help. And he is ratcheting up the fight, not just with him against the Hebrews, but against the God of the Hebrews. So a couple lessons for today, just from this, this interesting passage. First of all, I just didn't think I knew who Pua was. So if you guys are looking for some great uh, girl names, Pua is a, is a great one. You can add that to your list, you know, just amazing. Um, but I think one of the biggest lessons for me is God notices and values courageous people. Do you notice, what was the name of the Pharaoh in this story? Pharaoh was a title like king, but what was his name? No one knows. God conveniently said, I don't care. I'm going to leave him out. I'm going to edit him out of the story because his name isn't important. You know who's important in this story is these two Egyptian midwives. They're the important ones. I want you to know their name, and I want their name to go down in history as courageous people, both in their time and later. You know, I think it's also interesting, you know, I don't know, you fast forward a few years and we get to the famous people in Exodus, like Moses, and and you get to Moses, and remember the last plague that came upon Egypt was the killing of the firstborn son. And I think it's interesting, in that story, you got exempted from that plague if you put the blood of the lamb across the archway of your house. And there was a few Egyptian homes who did this and were spared from the plague. And I wonder if some of these Egyptian midwives who God gave in their household, if they remembered that and taught their children this, I wonder if they were included in that. If as they, in this moment, were obeying God, I wonder if they were also saving their great-grandchildren and their grandchildren. I just wonder. It's a very interesting thought I have. But God notices this. You know, it's my observation that in our society today, it's getting harder and harder and harder to be a Christian openly without any repercussions. I see so many instances of corporate pressure and educational pressure to conform and not to be a Christian, not to be a follower of Jesus, not to believe what the Bible believes. And there's this pressure to do things the Bible has not asked us to do. And I wonder how many of us are ready to stand up like these midwives and say, I am a follower of Christ. I fear God more than I fear my boss more than I fear my teacher, more than I fear any person. And that is my prayer for us today. You know, it's interesting. I I was reading in May that China outlawed the Bible in their country. Like the YouVersion app doesn't work in China anymore. And And I was wondering, like, why is it they're so afraid of the Bible? Well, the reason why a totalitarian regime like China is so afraid of the Bible is because the only thing that can make you fear government less is fearing God more. It's people that fear God the most that don't conform 
to a totalitarian government. If you can get the Bible away from the people and get them to stop believing in the true God, then they will do what you want them to do. So that's the first lesson. God notices and he values courageous people. You know, another uh, lesson I think for today is God chooses unlikely heroes. You know, I think the heroes are always the leaders, the generals, the, the head people, the mayors, the presidents. God chooses midwives or fishermen or tax collectors, really run-of-the-mill people, and said, these are the people that I'm going to use to change the world. These are the people that I am going to inspire to be my people and my army to change the world. You might have come in thinking, well, I'm just a homeschool mom or I'm just a doula, and what do I know? What, what, I'm, not, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm just trying to do my job. And God may say, yeah, but I'm going to use you as a person of courage to change something. You know, we see uh, this in Acts 5, 27 to 32. We see a transformation of Peter where he moves from a guy who denied Christ three times right after he said he would never do it, person with very little courage, to a person with quite a bit of backbone. So this is a moment after Jesus has risen to heaven. He's given the Holy Spirit, and Peter has become a new guy, and he has just gotten out of prison preaching the gospel. And he is called before the high council. So we read this in Acts 5, starting in verse 27. When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council, and the high priest interrogated them saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue to teach in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Just kind of funny to me, now that I, now I start looking at it, I notice, notice we don't know the name of the high priest, because God doesn't care. He is not important to God. What's important to God is Peter, who got a mulligan on denying Christ three times, and is now saying, I must obey God rather than man. And if it means I go back to prison, I'll take it. If it means I'm going to get beaten, if that's what it means, but I have to obey God. I must obey God. I must tell others about the truth of the Savior. Jesus says this in Luke 9, verse 23. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, this is the one who will save it. For what good does it do a person if he gains the whole world, but loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I think that's my prayer. My prayer is for us that we would live lives unashamed of Jesus. The people around us would know that we love Jesus. People would know that we love our Bibles because it is God's written words to us. People will know that we are a reflection of God's love to others. That they wouldn't just think, oh, he's just a nice person. They would know he loves me because he is a reflection of God's love. 
That's my prayer, is that as we go into our world this week and next week, that we would not be worried about the repercussions of being a follower of Christ. Because we know of this promise, that the Son of Man will not be ashamed of anyone who is unashamed of him. Let's have you guys all stand up. We're going to pray at the end here. Pray for our church. Pray for churches across the world. And pray for this, this attribute called courage. God, I do pray just right now that you would give each and every one of us the inner strength, the faith to know that you see us. And any challenge brought into our lives that you are there to help us with it. And if we will just decide to fear you the most, not like be petrified of you, but just revere you, care what you think the most, value what you think the most, that if we will live our lives that way, that we value your opinion so much that every other opinion drops down below that, that that kind of courage would would change our city. It would change our state. It would change our nation. We're praying for all the churches in America today and around the world today. Would you infill them with the kind of courage that we see from these two heroes in Exodus 1 who are willing to stand up, who are willing to do the right thing, even though it may have cost them everything. They were willing to do the right thing in that moment because they feared you and they wanted you to be pleased with them. We are so grateful you've called us to be your kids. We're so glad to be your kids. We are so glad that our inheritance is secure and promised forever. We pray that you would help us be wise this week, that as we fear you, that we grow in wisdom, and as we follow you, we would have fullness of joy. In your name, amen. Amen.